The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. You are about to enter a world of straight talk, compelling issues, and real solutions. Welcome to Power of Peace Radio with your host, Kit Cummings. Each week, we will tackle the issues that you've been talking about. We bring desperately needed hope and peace to our youth and our communities. Now, here is Kit Cummings. Good evening, everybody. Welcome to Power of Peace Radio. I'm your host, Kit Cummings. And here with us as well is Zaron Pledger. We bring you Power of Peace Radio tonight. And we appreciate you taking your time as we're broadcasting live from Atlanta, Georgia. And um, I don't know what kind of day you had today. I don't know if it was a, a, a good day, a tough day, a stressful day, if, um, if you got wonderful news today or if you had one of those days. But the power piece is about bringing peace to the inside so that we can go out and give it to other people in a world that's gone a little bit crazy. And right now, if we, uh, you know, if we stay connected to the media and uh, watch what the world is watching and talking about and, and feeling and just the way that uh, this world is going, we all seek peace. And that's one thing that connects us. I don't care what kind of the world, uh, what part of the world you come from, what color your skin is, what your faith tradition is. We're all built and born to live in peace. So whatever brings you here tonight, if you need encouragement, if you need motivation, inspiration, if you need education, um, just enlightenment on some things, that's what we seek to do tonight. But we're super, super grateful that you've joined us. The Power of Peace is a movement. It was an idea that led to uh, an experiment which developed into a program and now has morphed into a movement. We work in prisons, schools, communities, churches, um, really anywhere we're invited uh, where there is conflict, tension, uh, at-risk youth, we go in and we teach timeless, universal laws and principles, not just to a young generation, but we really are trying to impact a young generation. The guests that we have on are thought leaders, uh, game changers, people that are out there making a difference, whether it be music, sports, entertainment, politics, industry, uh, faith leaders, civil rights. I mean, we try to get the people that are out there and they're doing it. And this is a show about solutions, not about complaining, excuse making, blaming. It's about trying to figure out how do we make a difference in our community and how do we inspire people to go bring change to theirs. Uh, a lot going on with Power Peace. I always like to start with this. We have a, a brand new book out that I just released called Peace Behind the Wire, A Nonviolent Resolution. You can get it on Amazon. Um, it's E. Kendall. You can go to Barnes & Noble, Apple iBooks. Would love for you to pick it up and see what the Power Piece is all about. We got a new app that you can take the 40-day challenge, Android and iPhone. Go to our site, PowerPeaceProject.com, and subscribe to our newsletter. We've got a whole Hope is the New Dope gear, which we'll tell you more about that. Um, but anyway, I want to get on into our show tonight because we have uh, a couple of an amazing guests. Uh, like I said, we're out of Atlanta. We've got a couple guys that are definitely leading the charge and really helping manage Atlanta. I mean, it's a, a, an amazing job to run a city. Uh, tonight's episode is called, Am I Really My Brother's Keeper? 
And most of us would like to say, yeah, because we know that we should be, we know we like to feel like we are, but really I want to ask people that are listening, are we really our brother's keeper? Most of us would agree there's a a reason for concern with today's young people. And like the generations that preceded us, it seems like we get to a certain age and we start saying, man, I don't understand the young people. I don't understand how they dress. I don't understand what they listen to, what they talk about, how they talk. And it's easy to say, you know, it's always been this way, but now we've got more media. So we're just, you know, we're in tune with it more. But really, it's more than that. I mean, we see a young generation that in a lot of ways is losing its way. And I believe one of the biggest problems we face today is the absent father. And this young generation needs role models, needs mentors. And that brings us to our special guest tonight. And uh, Zaran, I'm excited to have you on. Say hey, brother. I'm, I'm, I love working with you, man. Uh, Z and hey. I have known each other for a minute. Uh, Zaran works with Congressman Hank Johnson, who's Georgia representative from the 4th District. But um, thank you so much, Z, for being on here, my faithful buddy, my brother. Hey, definitely, man. We like Batman and Robin now. Jordan and Pippin. So um, I was just listening. <laughs> hey, wait a minute. Listening. I thought we were like Ebony and Ivory. Now we're going Jordan and Pippin? I like Jordan and Pippin. I don't, don't want to say who's Jordan who's Pippin. You have to let the chairman know about, about the Ebony and Ivory. We have to tell him about that a little later. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Uh, tonight, we're, we are very excited that, to be joined by uh, Chairman... Fulton County Chairman John Eves. In 2014, Dr. John Eves was elected to his third four-year term as chairman of the Fulton County Commission, receiving 63% of the popular vote. Since 07, he has led the state's most populous and dynamic county, home to nearly 1 million residents in 14 municipalities, including Georgia's capital, the city of Atlanta. Before entering politics, John held leadership roles in nonprofit and academic arenas, both nationally and abroad. For seven years, he served as the Southeast Regional Director of the Peace Corps, helping bring education and health care assistance to the people of South Africa, Sierra Leone, Paraguay, Jamaica, Haiti, and the Dominican Republic. He is most proud of launching Fulton County's Smart Justice Advisory Council, a group of community and law enforcement leaders working to reduce recidivism rates, find alternative programs for first-time offenders, and help motivated inmates reclaim their lives. Chairman Eves is a graduate of Morehouse College, and so he's a Morehouse man, and I could go on, but Chairman Eves, we are so grateful that you joined us tonight. Yeah, thank you so much. I'm happy to be with Deron and Z and, and later on with my colleague Bob Ellis. So thanks so much for the wonderful uh, opportunity and the invitation. Now, i gotta, I got to make sure you understand this. Zeron and Z, same guy. He's a little, he gets oh. a little mixed up. <laughs> He's just one, dude. We just call him Z. So I want to make sure you're not throwing questions. You might confuse it. That's all. Well, I heard multiple voices out there, so I was assuming it was two different people. <laughs> Well, you know, we can talk after we can talk at the break about that because sometimes, you know, I mean, I'm not well, I'm, Z, I'm not going to tell you business, man. But no, when we when we talk about Z, that's Zerod. So anyway, glad you okay, Chairman Eves, tell us. Let's just jump right into it. I want to know what brought you to your position as uh, chairman of of the really the jewel of the South, the most important city in the South, and really one of the most important cities in the country. And and you've been in this position for a long time. But where do you come from? And just tell us a little bit about your upbringing and what brought you to this point. Well, thanks again, Kid. You, you read my bio, and, and frankly, about um, 
nine or ten years ago when I was serving as the regional director of Peace Corps, which is a wonderful, wonderful um, organization that goes back to John F. Kennedy in 1961 when it was a call to service to Americans. And, uh, and so I, was, I had this wonderful opportunity to interact with many Americans um, from all spectrums of the, the, uh, the, the, the people sphere, I'll say, who wanted to go abroad to do service and help people out, make the world a better place. But about nine years ago, I had an aha moment. You know, why, why is it that I can only do good work overseas? Let's look at doing something right here in my backyard. And so I decided to enter into the, um, the, the field of politics. And the common theme is, is, um, is service, uh, leadership, recognizing where there's need and, and aligning um, passion and dedication and commitment with need and, um, and, and mobilizing and working with people and working towards some sort of constructive change. And so it's been a wonderful eight going on nine years of service, and it's just really an honor and a pleasure to serve as chairman of Fulton County. Well, I, I get a chance to see you uh, really all over town, and um, I, <laughs> I guess I'll follow you around a little bit, but my organization has really gotten connected to uh, Fulton County, and you're, yeah. I can just tell the listeners, uh, Chairman Eves works very hard. He's everywhere all the time. I have no idea you do all the things that you do, and um, but I admire you. I respect you, and um, I know the, how we connected. And what I'd love to just jump right into is you were gracious enough, gracious enough to invite uh, myself and my organization to to serve in your uh, Fulton County My Brother's Keeper initiative, which of course is uh, President Obama's initiative that Atlanta adopted, and there was quite a process to get that lined up. But um, I'd love for you to to tell us um, really tell us a little bit about it. MBK and uh, your dream for it, vision for it, what it is for those that don't understand. We'd love to hear more about right. that. So uh, about two years ago, President Barack Obama, um, seeing that there were tremendous disparities in terms of educational outcomes for um, boys of color, these are primarily Latino and African-American boys not doing well in school, and a disproportionate number of them going into the criminal justice system. And so he launched a national initiative um, asking, encouraging local governments to adopt this initiative on a local level. And Fulton County was one of maybe about 50, 60 jurisdictions to uh, quickly jump forward and, and agree to embrace this initiative. And I put forth a resolution um, before the Board of Commissioners back in 2014, co-sponsored by one of my wonderful colleagues, Joan Garner, and we got unanimous support from a bipartisan, uh, multiracial group of commissioners uh, who saw the value and the importance of the county uh, addressing this issue. And um, this is a national um, problem, national challenge, uh, and it's manifesting itself very vividly on the local level in terms of, as I indicated, um, tremendous um, um, opportunities being lost along the educational pipeline, um, boys of color in the early grades, whether it's primary through middle school and high school, uh, underachieving, and in many cases dropping out of school, um, underperforming, and ultimately um, going into the criminal justice system. In Fulton County, we have 90% of our 
uh, detainees within our jail are African-American men. And mm. within the juvenile uh, system, those percentages are constant. They're the same. And, uh, you know, it's just too many of them comparing to the fact that we have only about 43% of the population in Fulton County consists of African-Americans and so have more than twice that representation in the criminal justice system really is indicative of a problem. Wow. Um, but what we want to do is not so much dwell on the negative because everybody sees it, everybody feels it, everybody senses it, especially when you look at the media. In the first 10, 15 minutes of the media, you see all types of criminal activity and problems, and, and unfortunately too many of the um, people involved in criminal activities are, are, are men of color. Uh, so we see it, but the, the, the real thing is to come up with some solutions, and you mentioned this in your, your intro. And so what are the things that we can do as a society um, engaging all types of people from different races and ethnicities and genders to recognize that this is a problem and we have to address it. And so, you know, going back to the biblical mandate back in Genesis with Cain and Abel and what happened between those two and, and uh, Abel, oh no, Cain asking the question, am I my brother's keeper? And uh, the fact mm-hmm. is, we are all our brothers' keepers. Keepers, we're part of a human family, and when a certain segment of our population is not doing well, it does inevitably have an impact on all of us. Absolutely, and and to lead into to where Z is uh, uh, going with this, um, the absent absent father. I said that, but really, it's it's absent parents. It's not just a father, but a lot of these kids are, are having to really, you know, they're being raised by themselves. So, um, Z, what do you what do you think about that? Definitely. I was going to say, you didn't tell me that Chamonese um, was, was a preacher because he was preaching right there. And I was throwing my hands up. I was passing the plate and everything. It was like ready to take communion. I, um, yeah, I took, <laughs> listen, I went to seminary and I passed a, a couple classes, so I know a little bit of something. something. <laughs> we can pass a plate. I don't mind. Pass a plate. He hit on so many critical points. Um I kind of had two questions that, that that really came up when he was saying some of the things he was saying. I guess the first thing was when you mentioned about the disparity uh, for young males, being that you're the chairman over Fulton County, do you see and uh, what are your thoughts on the disparity in student achievement just with South Fulton versus North Fulton alone? Yeah. Well, there's, there's, a, there's actually a good and a bad story there. Um, the, the bad story is there, there are um, some disparities. The good story is that there, are, um, there is, has been a lessening of the disparity. Um, I will say in a very positive way, the Fulton County school system, which is sort of a bifurcated system, you have North Fulton, as you were describing, Z, and South Fulton, and the demographics are, are different. And the educational outcomes have historically been different. But there's been some intentionality over the past uh, several years where the school board and the superintendent of Fulton County have placed resources, placed good teachers, um, good faculty, I mean, good principals in South Fulton schools. And frankly, there have been tremendous gains in terms of um, better um, graduation rates, standard achievement test scores have improved, and, uh, and it's really a growing positive story. And, and the lesson is, if you 
have a certain degree of intentionality, um, putting strong leadership in schools, good teachers, and, of course, parental engagement, Kit, which you mentioned is, is important, is key as a, the parents. Mm-hmm. So with parental engagement, you can have positive uh, educational outcomes despite the, the, the sort of the economic status of, of, of the student. And so you're right, um, see, there, there have been some historical challenges, but some changes have, are occurring positively. In fact, there are a couple schools, high schools in South Fulton that are actually uh, outperforming some of the schools in North Fulton uh, because of the leadership and the level of commitment um, by the school system. Well, that's definitely great to hear. Uh, and I'm going to jump in and ask another question based on it. sounds like you're definitely a praying man. Uh, you say you went to seminary as well as listening to everything that you were saying. We know that violence typically ignites from, like, an aggressive, from aggressive thoughts. However, we can be taught that prayer, meditation, is kind of a medium for peace, power of peace, uh, tranquility, and for love. For us to detox, detox the certain patterns of violent thinking, what do you think about the reintroducing the idea of prayer into the schools? Well, I, I think that, um, you, you know, religion is a, is a, is a, is a, is a, is a, um, a way of life that I think could be, um, there are aspects of it that I think could be um, infused into character development. You know, I think that even if you don't necessarily say prayer, there can be some sort of meditation period, reflective period. Uh, I think religious values, issues of fairness, issues of equality, issues of integrity, those are all universal religious tenets that could be infused into the curriculum in terms of character development. Now, many, many moons ago when I played football in high school and college, you know, we actually prayed um, before the football game. And, um, mm-hmm. you know, it's, I think it certainly helped in terms of us recognizing, regardless of what our individual beliefs were from a religious standpoint, but recognizing that there was a God. And so I think that there can be some appropriate ways that prayer could be used um, while being re- 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 respectful and also recognizing that, you know, um, you may have different faiths. And so I think that there's a way you can do prayer in a very general or economic, uh, ecumenical way that is generic enough that it applies to a variety of faiths. But I think the best way to really um, infuse a certain degree of, of moral development is embracing some of the tenets of religion that are universal. And again, these are values of fairness and equality and integrity and how can you infuse that into the curriculum and to the practices of schools in terms of character development? Right. That's yeah. a, a perfect segue um, into where we want to go next. The Power and Peace Project was was an idea that started uh, when I was serving at Hayes State Prison. And Hayes uh, at the time was, um, it's still a very, very tough place, a high security prison, um, a lot of gang activity, a lot of different factions, whether it be color, race, gangs, where they're coming from. And uh, during a very, very intense time with a lot of violence and um, even uh, a few deaths, there were some guys that stood up. And they happened to be black, white, Latino, Christian, Muslim, Jew, Crip, blood. You know, there were 
gangster disciple. It was just a lot of different, uh, a hodgepodge of, of people that are opposed to one another. A lot of times don't even know why. So the warden came to me and asked, uh, can you come up with a program? Because I had developed a pretty good connection with a lot of the guys in there. And um, I was going twice a week and I just uh, I was just called uh, to go there. And and she said, uh, the deputy warden of treatment of care, she said, could you come up with a program that would engage inmates that are negative leaders, not just our faith-based guys and not just our Christian guys? And so that's what led to what became the Power Peace Project. And so I was challenged to come up with a program that was very inclusive, that was interfaith and very diverse cultures and, and different, you know, racial and faith and different parts of, you know, different, different life cultures. And so I had to develop that and, and be inclusive rather than exclusive and bring together rather than to divide. And, and what I found that, that Dr. King brought people together and even the young ones respected that, and Gandhi and Mandela and Mother Teresa and Dalai Lama and Thich Nhat Hanh, and we just, Rabbi Heschel, I started bringing um, just champions of peace from the 20th century, and miracles happened. But I think that it, those kind of things could happen without having to bring Christian prayer back into schools, but moments you know, of, of silence, reflection, maybe a thought for the day. There's ways to get spirituality in the schools, I believe, and that's, I think, what I hear you saying. But Dr. King, obviously, Atlanta is the civil rights, you know, the heart of the civil rights movement, and was down here right in the middle of it. I was born the year that he won the Nobel Peace Prize, 1964. I've always felt really connected to him. How do you think that he would feel about Atlanta in 2015 um, with just what you see and what you're trying to bring about and the leadership in Atlanta and just where the race issues are now all these years later? Well, that's a great question, kid. I think um, on a on a high level, I think he would be pleased in terms of the diversity of leadership in Atlanta and in Fulton County today. You have black, white, uh, Latino, and in a few cases, Asian, gay, and straight who are political leaders who are elected uh, from this very diverse county. And so I think on the on a higher level, I think he would be very satisfied in terms of the diversity that's present. But, you know, we all know that towards the end of um, Dr. King's life, it shifted more towards uh, economic um, justice. Mm-hmm. And I think it's, it's clear that there still are too many inequities uh, along class lines. I think that we often focus on, on black and white, but I think to a, a certain degree, the real issue is, is classism. You know, we live in a wonderful community in Atlanta and in Fulton County, but the reality is we have, you know, 25% of our population is, is lives below the poverty line. You know, in other words, a family of four makes $14,000 or less. Mm-hmm. And that's just un- unacceptable uh, from a national, a regional, and local perspective. And so I think that uh, Dr. King will be focused in, in a very laser way about uh, some of the factors that lead to sort of this revolving door or permanent underclass of people who are just sort of bound within sort of this, you know, economic uh, lack of opportunities. The the child of a, a poor person will probably be poor if he or she does not get out of that cycle. And, and I, I certainly see it from a county perspective. 
in which we are charged with providing a lot of social services, a lot of people who are in our jails, many people who are in our court system, even though it's very apparent that many of them are African-American, the reality is an overwhelming number of them are poor. And so to me, Dr. King would not be pleased with some of the economic injustices and disparities that are just very apparent uh, in our society. And so again, for Atlanta to be such a wonderful city with all the uh, multinational corporations, you know, we have 66 colleges and universities in the Atlanta region. We have the, the world's busiest airport. We have CNN and, and Coca-Cola and UPS. But to still have within the shadow of many of our major uh, sports complexes, whether it's Turner Field for baseball or the Georgia Dome for football, to have really third world-like communities is just unacceptable. And so, to me, Dr. King, I think, will be very displeased with that as opposed to the positive, what I see in terms of the uh, diversity of leadership in our, in our county and in our city. Great answer. Oh, yeah. Um, I was going to ask, kind of on, on that same note, being in the position that, that you hold, uh, you know, a lot of people look at the, the mayor and they look uh, city council and things of that sort, but as the chairman, um, and understanding that there are, there's classism, and I, and I have this conversation a lot with people, especially in the uh, congressman's office, because everybody wants to label it as racism, and that's not to say that, you know, there are tenants of that out there, but in trying to change the tenor, I talk about the social, social, social socioeconomic aspect of it. And I'm going to ask you, like, what you think? what do you think your biggest challenge is in dealing with that? Because I know a lot of times people are going to play the race card, but like you just said so eloquently, you understand that it's social classes that kind of separate us, that kind of draw the lines, that, that creates even the red lines sometimes in housing communities and things of that sort. What, what's that challenge look like for you? It's a big challenge because I think that, you know, we, we, we all want to do the best for ourselves and our immediate family, and I think that, unfortunately, sometimes the old adage, self preservation is the first law of nature, you have that tendency, but the reality is you have a lot of folks who are just doing very poorly in our society. And, um, you know, I love the fact that Pope Francis came to the United States last week, and if you just listen to him, he talked about, among other things, environmental issues, but he talked about uh, the poor, and he talked about... um, Mm -hmm. You know, he went to he went to jail. He went to the Philadelphia jail. Kid, you know about this. He went there, and not <laughs> yeah. only did he go and talk about redemption and second chance in life, this this man showed the ultimate sign of humility by washing feet, and I understand yeah. he even kissed some of the inmates' feet. That was just a tremendous show of humility, and and he did it with some of the outcasts of society. And I think the message is, what can we do to address the social inequity that goes against sort of this self-directed type posture that many of us do to support ourselves and support our family? The reality is we're part of a village, and if part of the village is suffering, nobody's ever going to be free 
you know, and so you have to do something to to help those that are suffering. That's one of the main reasons why I chose to go into public service. Commissioner Ellis later on can probably vouch the same thing. You know, we don't make money, a whole lot of money going into politics. You know, it's a part-time but a full-time expectation job. But we do it because we want to have a positive impact on our communities. And I think that more of us have to step up and do more. Yes, there are people who volunteer. That's great. But really affect our society and address those individuals in poverty. You know, I often hear people from um, other countries talk about how they're moving people into the middle class by intentional actions, uh, supporting the public education system, et cetera. I really think we need to have more of a conversation. How can we move more people from this permanent underclass, this 25% of these people, who are, these individuals who are brothers and sisters in poverty, how do we move them from poverty to the middle class? And I think that needs to be more of a public conversation and public policy must follow it. Oh, man, I, I appreciate you bringing up the uh, the Pope's tour because, I mean, wow, there's a, there's a lot of people talking about this Pope. And I think that um, just he is he's bringing back the heart of caring for the least of these. And one of the most impactful scriptures, you know, that I've built my work around um, is Matthew 25. And he said, when I was hungry, you gave me something to eat. And when I was thirsty, you gave me drink. When I was a stranger, you invited me in. When I was sick, you attended to me. When I was naked, you gave me clothes. When I was in prison, you came to visit me, and that, that people are going to look at him and say, when were you ever you know, sick or naked or hungry or in prison? I mean, we, what do you mean when you? And he said, whatever you do for the least of these, you have done for me. And that is a universal, I mean, whether that's uh, whatever your faith tradition is, that is what this pope, this man is showing us. He's not just telling us from a pope mobile. Um, he's going in, I mean, really, I mean, when you said kiss the inmate's feet, I have never done that. And here is not just a man doing it, but a man in his position. Um, chills went up my spine. I mean, that was that is so powerful. It's not just saying the right words. It's showing by your life. And I know something that, that you have a big heart for the homeless um, with your, uh, you've got several in initiatives that deal with Atlanta's homeless, but your bio said that one of the things that you're probably the most proud of is the Smart Justice Advisory Council, because that does deal with um, this population that is getting younger and younger and younger. You know, half right. the inmates uh, in the country that are locked up in the land of the free are now 25 years old or younger. I mean, which is scary. And we're building more prisons than schools. We're filling them up. It's big business. And so tell us a little bit about that, because that must be really close to your heart. It is. So let me put things into a little bit larger context, but you're right. You hit the nail on the head. Um, If you look at the Fulton County budget, we have about a billion-dollar operation, and uh, about 40% of it, supports the criminal justice system. And within the criminal justice system, we appropriate about $120 million plus towards operating a jail. And the per inmate cost on an annual basis is about $26,000 to 
incarcerate one person over the course of a year. Surely, $26,000 of holding a person in a jail, feeding him, providing or administering to his medical needs, surely there can be a more creative and innovative and effective way of using those resources to, to make sure that our society is safe, but also resurrecting the, uh, the offender. And that's what smart justice is all about, is sort of stepping away, stepping back, taking a step back, and looking at how can we, on the one hand, ensure the maximum in terms of public safety, but at the same time, truly rehabilitating the person who has made a mistake in society and get that individual reintegrated so that that person can be productive. And so you're shifting from a punitive um, model where you put the person and let them sit to a more innovative model, looking at intervention. First of all, looking at prevention. So how can we, right now we have 80% of the folks in our jail, well, yeah, 80% of the folks in our jail are high school dropouts. So from an intervention model, let's work with the school system and minimize the uh, school-to-prison pipeline in terms of ensuring mm-hmm. people to stay in school. Then you look at interventive models, and, and that's sort of a in-the-middle type strategy. What can we do? And you do this well, Kit, in terms of once you're in prison or in jail, what can you do to intervene to try to help and get that person off in the right direction? What can you do in terms of, you know, um, personal development, getting a GED, um, addressing um, issues like substance abuse? And then you have a a post-release strategy. Once a person is released from jail or prison, what do you do in terms of a safety net to direct them to services so that they don't go back to their destructive, disruptive behavior? And so it's more of a, of a change of a paradigm. You know, the goal is the same in terms of making sure that our society is, is, is safe, but we implicit in the goal is what can we do to minimize the likelihood of a person going into the system, and if the person goes into the system, what can we do to make sure that he or she, upon release, um, is no longer a menace to society by providing them with services um, and addressing the issues that led to that person going into jail, I mean, going into crime. Someone just just mentioned to me, uh, I was in a meeting a few days ago, and it's interesting that you said that, some great points. And what the lady said to me, and I took it as it was a, kind of a personal story from the way that she presented it. And she said that, you know, a lot of times when people become incarcerated, they come out and they're still being billed for the crime that they committed, even though they've done their time. And what she was saying primarily was the fact, you know, that they can't get jobs and, you know, some of them are are still in in the system as felons or, or, um, um, put in positions to where they can't actually go out and find gainful employment, which then, again, results into them saying, hey, I have to eat. So, you know, they end up going back into a life of crime. What are some of the things that that you've seen um, proposed that you think that would really be um, great for moving forward with working with those inmates as they are released? Yeah. And three minutes to break. Great observation. Um, So... The good news is 
society is beginning to recognize slowly that um, looking, dealing with the ex-offender in a different way is going to achieve a better outcome than what we've done before. The other good news is this is becoming increasingly a bipartisan effort where Republicans and Democrats both know that what we're doing right now is what we've been doing heretofore has not been effective. And so you're beginning to see some changes among others. Fulton County and many other governments have begun to implement what's called ban the box. Simple thing where on a job application, you know, there used to be a question, are you, do you have um, criminal activity uh, record? Well, we've banned that because that question has uh, knowingly or unknowingly been discriminatory towards the ex-offender, so we've taken that away. Um, so that's a small thing. Um, there are also what's called bond programs, and <clears throat> actually the Labor Department provides an incentive for employers to hire ex-offenders. And if the employer, you know, works with the um, the the local labor department and the state labor department, they can get some protection. So if an ex-offender is hired and something happens on the job, this bonding program sort of provides a level of protection to the employer. So it's an incentive. Um, there are also some housing um, policies where if you're a felon, you cannot live in subsidized, public sub- subsidized housing. Now that either has to be some state or even federal um, effort have to be made to, to relieve or lift those restrictions. But the point is, as you're getting at, uh, Z, there really are some uh, things in place that, that really are barriers um, that make it very difficult for the uh, ex-offender to truly get back into society and, and to uh, get integrated and become productive. So some of these things that date back many years, some of these practices and policies are being changed, but all of them have not. Um, but right. I think with, um, you know, in, in, improved and more determined intentionality, and again, as I pointed out, you're beginning to see bipartisan support because the fact is the model of criminal uh, a smart justice is a lot cheaper, or I say less less costly than the right. previous model. So you're getting support, and I think you're going to begin to see more and more things happen where um, life is going to be made a little bit easier for the ex-offender. And the last thing I want to point out, not only did Pope go visit the Philadelphia jail, um, President Obama visited right. um, a federal prison. I think um, yeah. kid, it was somewhere out there in, in Kansas. Where, um, yeah, the first sitting president, I prison. believe. Right, yeah. right. Right. Um, Chairman, I am I am so grateful uh, that you took your time uh, out of your busy schedule to spend it with us uh, on a Monday night. I know you've got a lot of things. Um, I I I think I can speak for both of us um, that we're proud uh, to be to have a chairman that that is uh, committed to the things that are. Um, so important for Atlanta. I love Atlanta. I've been here over 50 years. I care a lot about it, and um, you're doing a fantastic job. I, I support you 100%. I can't wait to see you at the next My Brother's Keeper meeting. And you know I'll bump into you because you keep running into me all over town. You can't you run, but you can't hide. I'm going to find you. <laughs> well, listen, uh, thanks to both of y'all. And, and, you know, listen, appreciate all your engagement and, 
and your wonderful role model, and thanks for what you're doing. Z, look forward uh-huh. to seeing you sometime soon. Definitely. God bless you, Chairman. Thank okay. you so much. All right, fellas. Thank you so much. Have a nice evening. All right. And everybody, uh, stick with us. We're going to take a short break, and then we're coming back with Commissioner Bob Ellis to talk a little bit about North Fulton. Stay with us. Be right back. Love is in the air tonight. The energy inside gives me life. And this goes out to the world. It's your world. Motivate. Change. Succeed. VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com Can you think of anybody who does not want a better life and to be a better person? Think about that for a second. Almost everyone wants to be better, but how does one go about doing that? One thing that is making people better every week is tuning in to the Self-Improvement Show with Dr. Irene Conlon. All real change comes from within, but many of us don't know where to find the information or guidance we need to make the changes that bring about the improvement. Most of us don't know how to work within. Listen Thursdays at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Empowerment. Should there be more to your life? Do you need a change? Transformation for Success with Dr. Barbara Young will provide empowering commentary each week to encourage you. She will interview successful personalities from movies, television, business, technology, health, and academia. All of them have amazing stories resulting in transformed lives. You will learn how to discover real happiness, financial success, and fulfillment to live your highest purpose. Join her on Tuesdays at 2 p.m. Pacific Time and 5 p.m. Eastern on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. What makes you the best you can be? Is it money? Is it success? Maybe it's love, a good career, home, and family. Could it be a bit of all of these things? Be the best you can be with Dr. Linda Sanicola, along with her featured guests, will bring you the tools that could be the answer to the questions you've been asking. You'll get to the root of some of the problems that have been keeping you from being the best you can be and tackle them head on. Listen every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific Time, noon Eastern Time on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. Follow us on Twitter for more great ideas at Voice America Empowerment. You're listening to Power of Peace Radio. To reach Kit Cummings or his guest today, please call into the program at 1-888-346-9141. Again, that's 1-888-346-9141. You may also send an email to Kit at kitcummings.com. Now back to Power of Peace Radio. Uh, We're so excited to be back. Tonight has been incredible as we're talking about Fulton County. Um, it's where Atlanta sits, a million residents and uh, 14 different uh, municipalities. It's, it's a big job. And so we talked to Jeremy Eves, and we, and we talked a lot about the issues that we're, we're dealing with. But a lot of it had to do with the inner city in South Fulton, and, uh, which is a very, very important part of our city. But North Fulton is a whole different uh, part of Atlanta. And we've got Commissioner Bob Ellis, who is a Fulton County Commissioner, District 2, which is Milton, Mountain Park, Alpharetta, Roswell, Sandy Springs. Bob is a native of Commerce, Georgia, long-term resident of North Fulton. Bob and his wife, Jennifer, um, an elementary school teacher at Birmingham Falls Elementary in Fulton County, have three kids, reside in Milton. He is a bulldog. I want to let you know, Commissioner, you're on the line with two other bulldogs. We got three bulldogs. All right. We got, the, we, we got a Morehouse man, but now we can, 
we're going to get on some Alabama this weekend. But anyway, but um, anyway, we can, we, he, he does a lot. And, and Bob, uh, Commissioner, <laughs> we've got to know each other a little bit. So let's just jump right in. Tell us, thank you for your service, but tell us the issues you're dealing with in North Fulton that might be a little different challenges from South Fulton. Yeah, speaking specifically to uh, to kids and uh, and 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 youth, and you know the issues are. I think maybe they manifest themselves a little bit differently, but I think maybe the root causes are often uh, are similar. Um, you know, I think um, one of the things that you touched on at the beginning of the program, um, absent mom and dads, mm-hmm. um, and uh, you know that different reasons for that, right? Uh, um, you know, maybe dual income and, uh, you know, both parents working and just sort of focused on their own careers or maybe they have to and the kids are left to fend for themselves or um, one parent really being the uh, being the earner but being absent, you know, while the other one's doing the work uh, and, and just the prevalence of, um, you know, single parent households. Um, and are you know just as prevalent in the uh in the suburbs maybe as uh, oftentimes as they are in the inner city so i think that 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 that's a common feature you know with with absent mom mom and dads and uh making sure that they're engaged in, with their kids in the right way um you know i think some other things that are maybe a little bit different um um you know people see well in a higher more fluent area um, you know, certainly that that's a, it brings you brings parents and the uh, an environment um, a more po- you know a, a positive environment to raise your kids in, but it also uh, creates some sort of different pressures. You know, the chase for uh, stuff, um, and that often often leads to you know families that are becoming more materialistic and um, in a sense the emptiness at the end. Uh, there's also in the areas that that I'm in, there's a, there's a it's a fairly high achievement culture, uh, oftentimes to the detriment of the child, uh, mm-hmm. where, um, you know, oftentimes sort of the culture sort of creates a situation where the, the child, you know, it, it, the culture sort of loses sight of the fact that the child is first a child of worth, it's God's creation, and they're valued. Um, and Instead, there's this focus on, and it's shifted sort of in a lot of different arenas, you know, whether it's athletics, whether it's the arts, or whether it's education. At a much younger age, uh, where, you know, there's this shift towards a, you know, high focus on achievement. So it's not, it no longer becomes about play, you know, in athletics. It no longer becomes about the love of learning and education or the participation and the creativity with the arts. But there's this becomes this heightened focus at younger and younger ages around achievement, and what happens with that is you play the tape forward several years into a child's life when they reach those middle school years and the high school years. If they haven't, you know, become great in their own minds or in their parents' minds, or felt like that they've become, you know, great or achieved something, and that and that others are passing them by, and that they're not going to be a star athlete or a performer or a top student, um, then they start to lose hope. Uh, and uh, that achievement culture gets them and leads them down, you know, paths of isolation um, and uh, it manifests itself into some, into some other issues that, that we've seen sort of play out uh, more aggressively in the past few years with um, uh, suicide, um, 
and, and you know, in, in other sort of social ills that maybe are a little bit different than might what take place in the inner city. But I think a lot of times the uh, uh, sort of the the root causes for them may be slight, maybe maybe the same uh, or slight or or or, or similar, um, but it just looks a little bit different. One of the other areas which um, I wanted to touch on and talk about is the whole arena of alcohol drugs and prescription drugs. Um, you know, the intensity, you know, alcohol has been a problem with, with, with teenagers and, and youth for a long time. And I don't think that, you know, it's, it's necessarily going to go away, but the, uh, but the intensity um, of, of which um, it's sort of taken over and in a lot of the, uh, more wealthy schools, if you look at a lot of the surveys that have been done by Fulton County Schools specifically, they will show that alcohol and drug use is more prevalent in the wealthier the school is, the more prevalent the alcohol and drug use is. Um, right, right. And uh, that's perhaps a little bit of a dirty little secret. Yeah. Access. I mean, that's, that's a great perspective, um, and I hope the listeners out there that are in, you know, various parts of Fulton County hear that because, you know, we talk so much about the intricacies of South Fulton a lot of times, uh, good or bad, that a lot of times these type of conversations don't really take place because you don't really realize some of the things that, that you're um, expressing now. Uh, I'm going to change the trajectory totally on this. Yeah. You know, kind of talking about um, Fulton County and that umbrella. I want to ask you, what's your position on charter schools? under the Fulton County umbrella for those that want an alternative to yeah. public school or private schools. Yeah. Sure. Well, my perspective on, on education, I'll, I'll say first that uh, I'm the husband of an educator. Uh, I was raised by two high school educators. My dad was a high school football coach, all in the public schools. My brother's a public school teacher. Um, you know, so I'm, I'm probably uh, I'm a big believer in the, in the public school system. Um, but that being said, it's it's not a system that's perfect for for every child, and um, I think each each child has different educational needs, um, which may or which a public school may or may not meet. I think there are a lot of great success stories with charter schools. Uh, private schools and other educational methods, even homeschooling, uh, which is probably a lot more prevalent in suburban areas now than, um, you know, when five, maybe ten years ago may have been really non-existent. But um, there's a fair, fair amount of homeschooling that's even taking place. Uh, so I'm, I, I'm, I'm, um, I'm a big proponent of, you know, every parent sort of looking at their kids' own educational needs and and channeling them to where they think is going to be the best fit for their particular for their particular right. child, um, you know whether that's a private school, whether that's a charter school, whether that's a public school. Um, I think that there's, you know, and there's you've got in metro areas you've got big school systems, uh, and you know the bigger something becomes, it does become harder to um, have individualized education. In a focus that sort of meets sort of whatever may be going on or may tailor something to a particular community. Um, Fulton County schools have gone to what's called a charter system, uh, which is not really fully akin to a charter school per se, 
but it is a pathway that's given each school a little bit of an opportunity to drive um, more individualized uh, attention to their particular school, whether that's right. bringing in unique programs, uh, slightly different models. Not going to give them sort of the full sort of realm of um, flexibility that a true charter school may have, but I think that that's a it's a model that a lot of bigger schools should look at, and I think over time could be utilized to drive and improve education. Yeah. I agree with that, and um, what I'm hearing is is that I think kids are different. They have different needs. Some some do really well. They thrive in public school environments. Some have you know families can send to private schools, and I'm also hearing that don't don't just uh, people that are out there listening assume that private schools or even Christian schools or or wealthy communities don't have these issues. Sometimes it's when there's money, time, and uh, and wealth. There's better drugs and easier accessibility to those, mm-hmm. and we're seeing that in the yeah. suburbs. Uh, Commissioner, we're gonna we're gonna hit you with this thing we always close mm-hmm. with. Now, Z mm-hmm. came up with this thing. Okay, he's got this little game he's got to play, and so I said, ah, I mean, he's always like, I, I never know what this was gonna be. So last couple that we had Dennis Scott, NBA guy, a couple weeks ago. Last week we had an actor, R&B singer, uh, Keith. Uh, Robinson from you know Hollywood, and this week I've got a very important commissioner. So so he's got this thing called unicorn or donkey. So he's gonna throw something out at you. You gotta say <laughs> unicorn if you think it's legendary, donkey if you think it's a bust. And he's gonna move fast because we got like two minutes to play this game. Unicorn is good. First of all, are you okay with okay. this? Okay. You, you, you say unicorn if you think it's it's legendary and it's something that's gonna play out to be greatness and it's gonna be a bust. Or you think no, it's, it's the word is donkey. Okay. All right. The first one: <laughs> Braves relocating to Cobb County. Is that a legendary move, or is that gonna be a donkey? <laughs> <laughs> I gotta say, donkey now. So. <laughs> oh man, donkey! Oh my god! Okay. I, I didn't guess that one right. Okay, I, I, I thought you were gonna go with uh, unicorn, legendary. Well, see, I'm in Cobb. I'm in East Cobb. I hope they do good, but you know, hey, I'm sad to see them leave Fulton County. So. See, that's a that's a Fulton Cobb thing. That wasn't okay. Z, I got you there, man. Okay, ready? I'll do the next one. Z, will do last. That's what it was. Okay. Arthur right. Arthur Blank building a new stadium. Will bring a championship to Atlanta. Go, unicorn. Yeah. Oh, okay. All right. Oh. All right. We have one more. Kids and I both. We've been in Atlanta just about most of our entire lives, and you know, people that they relocate here, they have an issue with Marta. Marta transit system in the next five years is going to be unicorn, or is it going to stay? <laughs> <laughs> Marty is on the rise, so I mean it's going to take them longer than five years. I think it's going to actually take them about ten. But uh, okay. Keith Parker's doing a great job. I'm going to say unicorn. You are a wonderful. I want, uh, you're you're uh, you understand how to walk these fine lines, Commissioner. I'm impressed. I'm, I'm going to say this first of all. Hey, it's been, it's been fun, guys. It, 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 we got any more time, or are we all out? We're we're all out. I got to sign all off right. here in a second. You, you, I'll give it if you want to say something really just powerful. Ten seconds, no pressure. Go ahead. All right. Well, I just want to say everywhere has got to focus on building stronger communities. John used the term village. I use the term communities, and um, that's what really we've got to just really go and empower our communities to get engaged and try to address a lot of these uh, things that we got going on in in, in our areas. And Atlanta is a great area. Fulton County is great. And uh, we just got a big opportunity to make it even better 
in the, in the next in the next five to ten years, and I hope to be a small part of that. Well, you are, and uh, you know I'm a fan. I'm a supporter. You have begun to partner with with myself, Power Peace Project. Uh, on some very important things in a community that you care deeply about, not just because you are the commissioner, because, but your family is there. Uh, we're here to support you. Um, I'm, a, I'm a Fulton County guy as well as a cop guy. I'm an Atlanta guy. Uh, but I'll just say this. I've been living in Atlanta 51 years. I've ridden MARTA three times in my life. I'm just going to say that. So <laughs> those that are listening tonight, go and do There's no MARTA in Cobb County. So. <laughs> that, that's true Maybe 10 years uh, now. Go, go and do something for your community go and be the change you wish to see this week uh, for signing off Kit Cummings, Z Pledger thank you Commissioner, thank you Chairman go and make some peace this week peace out, love y'all, see you next week thank you for tuning in to Power of Peace Radio we hope you've become inspired to make a change in your world Spread the word and make sure to tune into our next show. We're live every Monday at 5 p.m. Pacific Time, 8 p.m. Eastern Time on Voice America Empowerment Channel. Be the change you wish to see. And remember, hope is the new dope. Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Empowerment Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit VoiceAmericaEmpowerment.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit VoiceAmerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.